The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. You can find it printed on page 10 of your worship folder. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, meet us now in this room. Meet us in the midst of our questions and our confusion. Meet us in the midst of our pain and our anger. Meet us in the midst of our anxiety, our depression. Meet us in our sleepiness and our own spirituality at this moment. Meet us in our complacency. However we walk into this room, help us to believe that you have arranged this very moment and that you have something you want us to hear. Give us grace to receive it. Help us to be present to your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend who is five foot six. He has an inseam, bet you weren't seeing that coming. He has an inseam of 26 inches. He has the arms the length of a person who's around six foot five. His thighs are like the trunks of a redwood. It's a good start to the sermon, right? (laughs) Where in the heck is he going with this? He tells me he was a state champion wrestler while in high school many, many years ago. He also tells me all these measurements, just so you know. Um, I asked him what made him such a good wrestler. His first response was, well, you you couldn't really grab my legs for starters. I'm so low to the ground, but with my long arms... I would just spend the first minute of each match just just slapping them, <laughs> just slapping them, just pushing them away and pulling on their ear. Just, I just irritate them. And they, and they start diving for my legs, and I just deflect, and I just keep slapping them. And they get tired, and then I pin them, and I win. That was his entire strategy. Can't you just see that whole scenario? It's hilarious to me. I believe there is just a slight, slight connection to the sermon. Um, I believe, I believe, hey, you do this every week, okay? You're looking for illustrations. I believe Jesus, I believe Jesus is actually doing this right now. He's just slapping. He's just toying with this audience of people that he's been invited to be with at dinner. He's just toying with them before the guard is finally let down and then he pins them. 
or maybe a more generous way of saying it, a more Jesus-y way of saying it is, he invites them. He invites them to something else, to freedom. He invites them to freedom from the made-up nonsense that has become their life. A question. Go back and look at it for a second. You've got it written right there for you. If you're like me, you might sit in the service and all you hear is wah, wah, wah when the scripture's being read. But go back to, do you see what's going on in this teaching, what Jesus is saying, what Luke has recorded here? Jesus has been invited to dinner, and then he starts giving advice on how to get honor. I mean, here's the question. Is Jesus teaching us how to play the game of social climbing? Does that seem like Jesus, sound like Jesus to you? Doesn't sound like Jesus to me. I mean, it really looks like Jesus is giving us this killer advice that if we want a place of honor, the best way to attain that is not through just claiming it on our own. Since someone might put us in our place and then we'll look bad. But the best way to attain a place of honor is to claim a lower place so that then you, having claimed the lower place, then you deserve or to, so that then folks might notice how humble you are and insist that you take a place of higher honor. Genius strategy on how to use false modesty to climb the social ladder. And we all know Jesus was obsessed with climbing the social ladder. Just listen to that sentence. Jesus was obsessed with climbing the social ladder. It's comical. It's comical. It's hard for me to say with a straight face. If it wasn't so true, but not of Jesus, but of human beings in general. So we were all playing the game to one degree or another. And it seems to me that Jesus came to set us free from that game. So what is he up to here? What's going on here? The meal table and the throwing of banquets in this ancient Near Eastern context, as it is today in many ways, were arenas which people negotiated and competed for social status. It was also a site of intense scrutiny, social scrutiny, And it says there that Jesus was being closely examined by the Pharisees in verse 1. He wanted to see what his table manners would reveal about him. Now, I spent a week or more on this part of our text, and I think I was saved by the mention that this is a parable. A parable. It says he tells them a parable. And... He told it after, quote, he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor. So he notices how the guests chose the places of honor. Then he tells a parable. And it occurred to me that Jesus is showing us how ridiculous the way we arrange the world really is. (laughs) With all the jockeying for position and honor. It's as if he went to all of our Facebook and Instagram posts and said, You know this isn't telling the truth, is it? Jesus is on to us. Jesus is toying with the audience of people watching him closely. He often misbehaves when invited to dinner. Just notice that. All the places Jesus comes to dinner, and there's always a scene. He always is blowing things up at dinner. Are you sure you want to invite Jesus to dinner? I don't know. 
But maybe what's happening here is he's participating momentarily in the customs and social arrangements, all of them to adjust uh, to all of them unjust to one degree or another, to reveal them as silly games meant to keep us all in the compare ourselves to others game that is wounding your soul. When we pretend that's what happens, and we really just do so much pretending. We pretend, I'm saying we, I'm a part of this too. We pretend we don't rely a little too much on alcohol. We pretend we are more confident than we really are. We pretend that we care more about people than we really do. We pretend we're not afraid when we're terrified. You know, when Torelli and I, Torelli's my wife, for those of you who don't know, um, when we raised our children, we raised them in those years between, you know, our first child, John Mark, was born in 1990, and our fourth child, London, was born in 1997. And so she graduated from high school in 2016. So really from 1990 to 2016, not only were we raising children, but the kind of video cassettes changed every two months. <laughs> so we have home movies in about... 20 formats, none of which we can actually access. They're just all over the place in our house. So I boxed them up, and I sent them to a place called iMemories in Phoenix, Arizona. And they converted them, and now I have 320 home videos on a website that I will not show you. <laughs> One of these videos is our third ever worship service in San Francisco in 1997. There's a person in our church who actually took a video of that service, March the 2nd. I remember that day because I'd had a pretty bad anxiety attack that afternoon. It was, a morning, it was an evening service. The first six services we had were all evening services. I'd had a bad anxiety attack in the service that night, and my memory was a complete disaster. Um, yeah, my anxiety was so high I could barely function, yet in the video... I look incredibly calm. See, externally, I was projecting calm. Internally, there was a tornado going on inside of me. We fake it until we make it. We pretend. Sometimes we even overcompensate so much about the things we're trying to hide that no one really suspects the truth. And then we're left in the aloneness, and this is really the aloneness, of not ever being really known. This practice of curating parts of the self is something that we all do to some degree. We so carefully create a persona, and it's always only a partial truth, and just maintaining it can be exhausting. So on social media, we curate an image of ourselves from just the parts of our lives and personalities we wish to project to others. You know, I don't, I don't see, and there are some, but I don't see a lot of social media posts that say, I just manipulated my spouse to get my own way. <laughs> I just exaggerated a story to make myself look better because I feel like a fraud. I haven't seen that one, Moses. Seen anywhere. I just dropped a subtle hint that I might be available to someone, even though you are married. I just spent my last two paychecks on my gambling addiction. 
Everyone thinks I'm successful, but I've never really accomplished anything. See, none of us want a light shined on these games that we play. None of us want to be exposed. All of us pretend based in a fear of being really known, of being truly seen, because there's a wound or a vulnerable place that we seem to think we have to protect. So we keep our appearances. And in some ways, this text is Jesus finding all the unflattering photos of us where we are a complete mess and he keeps tagging us. The truth will set us free, but it might make us miserable first, Richard Rohr says. And I think preachers might be the very best at keeping up appearances. What psychologists might call splitting. Because when life starts to fall apart for a preacher, he or she gets up there on Sunday and smiles and preaches about God's love. Whether they themselves are accessing it or not. You know, one of our kids was particularly challenging during high school. That's life. That's growing up. He's doing great now. Side note to parents, each of your children is a unique gift, especially when they are struggling for what it will bring up in you and your own unresolved inner conflicts. Pay close attention to this, especially those of you who have kids about to go through puberty. But back to my point, this child would go out on Saturday night and sometimes not come home. So Torelli, my wife, would look at me from that balcony and have her hands up in the air like this, like, I don't know where he is. And I responded with preaching with a smile on my face. I know life is filled with situations. I know this. Where we, you just have to say, I just have to get through this moment, and I get that. All of us deal with this in one way or another. Now, I thought about writing a Labor Day sermon. I'm not always here on Labor Day. It occurred to me this, this week, uh, Labor Day Sunday. So I thought, you know, I'll write a sermon like a biblical view of work, you know, or something like that. But maybe this is exactly what we need to hear on Labor Day weekend. Some of us are working two and three jobs just to pay the bills. We're discouraged about work. Some of us in this room are swimming in student debt, student loan debt, so work just feels like an endless treadmill. Some of us are wildly successful in realizing life has to be about more than accumulation. Some of us here hate our jobs, but won't admit it to ourselves and are afraid of taking another one and losing income. Some of us feel completely ripped off by the generation above us or by white supremacy that underpays us or by patriarchy that undervalues us. So there is understandable exhaustion about work. But we can be set free, I believe, from this particular kind of pretending exhaustion, which I'd imagine happens in our vocational lives all the time. The exhaustion of making work just one more way in which we play the game of social status and social climbing, using work to continue our game of pride-filled drivenness that leads us into conflict and destructiveness, all of it becoming, all of life becoming just about who is a winner and who's a loser. Values, integrity, fidelity all end up expendable as success, victory, or popularity become the ends that justify any means. So what do we do? 
I know you can't just go blow up every dinner party the way Jesus does. I understand. He misbehaves badly at meals. But we can begin the work of easing out of whatever social customs and systems that are put in place to keep everyone in their place. Like human beings who are made in the image of God are to have a place to live in the apartheid of our human social constructs. There's got to be another way forward, and there is. Here's the thing. The only real love to be found in the world is to be found when you're truly known. The only real love to be found in the world is to be found when you're truly known. Nobody is known in this story that Jesus tells, this parable. Nobody is known. Everybody is jockeying, and therefore nobody is loved. The 2000 film, Almost Famous. Did you see that film? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Tells the story of a young man who finds himself as a reporter on a tour with a famous rock band. Anybody remember this film? His conversation with an older reporter at the end of the film captures this whole idea perfectly. The young man laments that he's tried to be cool, that he almost felt cool with the rock stars, even though he knew he wasn't. And the older writer looks at him and is like, look, I've met you. You're not cool. (laughs) But then he lands this bomb. He says, but the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what we share with someone else when we're uncool. The only currency in this bankrupt world is what we share with someone else when we're uncool, when we're falling apart, when we're dissembling, when we don't have it all together. Now, in this story, verse 11, after this short parable, is kind of a bridge of sorts. Jesus has toyed with them. The guard is down. And then he lays this on them. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Talk about a conversation buzzkill. Jesus gives this very helpful story about social climbing, and then he just, he lands this. Everybody in this story is concerned about trying to exalt themselves. Just, Jesus just did a takedown. As I said, a different, differently, a different way of, an invitation to a different way of being in the world. And Jesus tells them to rearrange their guest list by not inviting people who can pay you back or only inviting people who will pay you back. Put it another way, Jesus is saying, don't use your wealth and privilege to leverage others so they will be beholden to pay you back. Don't get into that game. I'm calling you out of that game. I'm calling you out of transactional relationships. I'm calling you out of quid pro quo. Quid pro quo be damned. Life is not about I scratch your back and you scratch, scratch mine. Jesus has a new kind of banquet to throw. Invite the poor, the person with disabilities, the lame and the blind, the outcast, the transgender person, 
the black and brown skinned person, the economically marginalized person, the lovely ones, the lonely ones who don't make good conversation, the smelly, the difficult to understand, the ones who will never repay you a thing. Invite them to your banquet so you can listen and learn and be enriched and empathize to rescue you from your narcissism, to show you the way of dependence and helplessness and powerlessness, to show you that God, as Robert Ferrer Kirpan so famously said, emphatically does not promise to meet only the odd winner of the self-improvement lottery. God meets us in all of our endless and inescapable losing. Or as Jesus puts it elsewhere, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Prioritize the unimpressive, and then maybe you will be set free from your need to be impressive. And maybe to find out your definition of impressive was exactly backwards. And let me just apply this one more way, and we'll be done. Imagine in yourself... Imagine the poor, the disabled, the, the lame, and the blind parts of yourself. You know what all these things are. You know them. You know them well. All the imperfections, the bad decisions, the guilt, the shame. Imagine not needing to cultivate a persona to hide or overcompensate for the lame, poor, blind, crippled parts of us. In other words, the uncool parts of ourselves are exactly that which Jesus invites around his table. Imagine a community of people sharing the uncool parts of themselves with God and each other and to know the relief of being known and accepted. Imagine God saying to you right now, you can bring all of that to the table. Whatever that is in that sentence for you, that thing maybe you don't want anyone to ever know, you can bring all of that to the table and you will be loved. No need to pretend or overcompensate, or be shrewd. You can just be. Nothing to prove, nothing to protect. I am who I am, and it's enough. And in just being you, you can, in the fierce and loving eyes of God, be known completely, be whole, and maybe even gasp maybe even rest a little. Because keeping it all up is just exhausting. Gracious God, help us in whatever it means at this moment to bring all of ourselves to you and to know that you will love us Help us to believe that this gospel that continues to go out to those on the outside to be brought in means that we can bring all of ourselves to you. 
to be healed, to be loved, to be known. Give us grace to believe this most powerful concept. Give us grace to believe that you do have, as your word tells us, a love for us that is everlasting and steadfast. Give us grace to believe how you have made this so clearly known to us through the story of Jesus who dies on our behalf, who is raised from the dead, vindicating everything he ever said, did, or taught, and giving us the confidence to believe that the death we feel right now is not the final word. There is always resurrection. Give us grace to do this and give ourselves to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.